are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Well, good morning. Charles Shannon here, lead pastor of Mission Church in Norfolk, Virginia. I would so much rather be with you live and in the flesh, but I praise God that we're still able to have a measure of connectivity and to enjoy the word together through uh, a means of video and technology. And so I'm excited about looking at John chapter six with you. I want to take a brief moment to pray and then we can dive right in. Lord, thank you for the good gift of your word. Thank you so much that you and your grace have saw fit to not only reveal yourself to us, but to give us others who have uh, responded to you and are responding to you uh, and giving us an opportunity to be connected to them, finding home and rest and peace and hearing your voice in the word. In this moment, Lord, we pray you would settle our hearts, settle our minds, that you would remove distractions as well as help us not to be easily distracted. Help us to persevere in this moment. We have 20, 25 minutes together in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, and we trust that you will speak to us and warm our hearts to know you, understand who you are, what you have done for us, and to uh, encourage us as we navigate the days and the weeks and the months ahead. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I love the storyline of the Bible. And I'm convinced that, that, that we all should love the storyline of the Bible and we should come to love the storyline, to know the storyline and be ready and willing to share that storyline with others. But I also think it's, it's important as well for us to know our stories, for us to know our upbringing, the households we grew up in, the siblings we had, if we had any, the neighborhoods that we grew up in, our parents and their backgrounds and how it influences us even today. And to be able to wed God's story and the storyline of God's word with our story and to see where those two collide and then to love our neighbors well by inviting them to reflect on their stories and uh, where they are presently and how God might be intersecting with their story and calling them to respond, to receive him and to walk with him in newness of life through faith in Jesus Christ. When we think about the storyline of the Bible, it begins with God. And soon we're introduced to a good God who creates all things good to include Adam and Eve, the first humans. Well, we know the story takes a twist when you have this talking snake in the garden, this serpent who, instead of calling Adam and Eve to trust more in God, in his ways, in his word, the serpent begins to contradict God, calling Adam and Eve not to trust fully in God's word and his promises, and he leads them to rebel against God. And we know that this is the fall of humanity, where sin enters into God's good world. It wasn't meant to be this way. Adam and Eve were to have life and full access to God, walking with him in the garden. And now there is enmity, there is strife, there is sin, there is rebellion and indifference toward God, and there is sickness, and there is death. But God had a plan. 
And God even promised Adam and Eve that he would correct the problem and that he would make all things right. We see as the storyline continues that God sets apart a people. He sets apart Israel to be his own, to know him, to love him, to cherish him, to heed his word and to follow his ways and to be in communion with him and communion with each other. Well, we know throughout the Old Testament storyline that God sends messengers to his people when they stray, like lost sheep when they get off track, to call the people back to faithfulness to God and his covenant promises. And we know also God would send messengers who would preach hope and good news. And, and sometimes uh, God would send messengers to, uh, uh, to uh, announce a message of judgment and, and call the people to repent and turn back to him. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we know from among uh, God's people, God brings a deliverer into the world. God himself, God became human. The God man, Jesus Christ, is born into the world. We know he grows in age in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and in favor with man. And he initiates his ministry after the preaching of John the Baptist, who identifies him as the promised one. John came as a prophet preaching in the wilderness, calling people to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And seeing Jesus comes, coming one day, he announces to all that this is the promised one. Well, Jesus begins his ministry. You see it throughout John's gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, not coming to have an external religiosity, but to uh, embody the true heart of God fully loving God and fully loving others, healing the sick, casting out demons, and announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. We know ultimately, as Jesus called men and women to follow after him as his disciples, he's betrayed by one of his disciples, sentenced under Pontius Pilate, led away to be beaten, is crucified on a tree, hangs his head, he dies, and he's placed in a tomb. But as we celebrate it, Intently, a few weeks ago, on the third day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus defeats death, sin, and the grave by being raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And after his ascension, we know the Spirit of God comes to establish the church, centered on the good news in this wonderful announcement about Jesus' life, ministry, teaching, death, and all that it means, and his resurrection, and all that that means for the world. We find ourselves in that time, in the time after Jesus's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension as the church. We even read John chapter 6 as the church, those who with eager expectation and hope long for the return of our king, our good shepherd, the best prophet of them all, the messenger of God himself, as the message became human and lived amongst the creation, as with eager expectation and hope, we long for his return. We long for the return of the good shepherd, the good king, the good messenger to come and to do away with sin and sorrow and sickness and, and death and toll and, and strain and to return us to the fullness of communion, that which was distorted in the garden and to draw us into fellowship with one another forever. I want to focus on a few stories, familiar, well-known stories in Jesus's life and ministry. And we will see him as shepherd 
and as king and as prophet, bringing a glorious announcement. And so what I'm going to do over the next few minutes, I want to read verses 1 through 15, provide a few comments along the way, highlight a few key sections, provide a summary and some application, and then I want to do the same with verses 16 through 21. Without delay, let's look at the text together. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, after this. Now that connects what is about to uh, be explained uh, by John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, with what he just told about in the preceding chapters, specifically John chapter 5. You're familiar with it. If you haven't read it, I want to encourage you to go back and to read it. Uh, preceding John chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is healing many. He caused quite a stir as he healed on the Sabbath. He called God his Father, even going as far as uh, uh, suggesting that there is uh, some mutuality between him and the Father, that uh, they receive mutual honor and glory, that they, they joyfully share it together, and that the Father was uh, particularly involved, as well as the Spirit of God, in Jesus coming into the world, being sent on mission into the world. Now, the storyline of the Scriptures point us to Jesus, the just one, the righteous one, who offers eternal life and eternal hope to all. And Jesus makes that very clear, that he is the one who is sent by the Father, offering eternal life to those who would trust and rest in him. So when John says after this, he's connecting what preceded with what is about to come. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd, take note to that language in verse 2, a large crowd was following him. The him is Jesus. Jesus is being followed. And the reason they're following him is because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And we know Jesus just has this way of going about ministry where he is close to the grieving. He is close to the lamenting. He is close to those who weep. Jesus is near and close even to us in our present grieving, lamenting and weeping. And he is with us. He acknowledges it. He enters into it while at the same time his very presence in grieving, lamenting, weeping, anguish and grief provides us hope. Jesus walking the earth provides hope. We see in verse 3 that Jesus went up. He goes up to a location. The location is the mountain, and the mountain is an important place, but I'm convinced the place uh, is secondary to who he is with in this place. It is there on the mountain that he sat down with his disciples. I know this uh, brings memories for us, uh, the, the locations that we would spend doing discipleship with one another, spending time with each other. Maybe it was a coffee shop. Maybe it's your missional community, community group, in-home Bible study. Maybe uh, it's, it's the neighbors um, from the community that you would spend time with laughing and enjoying good food and good drinks. And uh, maybe the people at the gym or the local library or the community center or uh, whatever your rhythms were before, where you were with others who are following Jesus, these location and places of discipleship that we grieve and we lament, we're not presently able to experience. 
But I'm glad that God has set apart this means as a location that we might grow as disciples and followers of Jesus. And I pray uh, that you take advantage of this time not to say just because we aren't able to meet in these physical locations uh, for discipleship. I pray you get eager. I pray you get creative, be phone calls or um, video meetings whatever it may be that you continue to posture yourself and you continue to take responsibility for others to help them grow as disciples of Jesus Christ as you grow as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is prime time for us to grow as followers of him. We see the time in this day is the Passover, the Feast of the Jews. And we see Jesus in verse 5 lifting up his eyes And then just as it said in verse two, there's a large crowd and Jesus sees the crowd. He 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 knows that these are people. He probably looked upon them with compassion. Uh, Many of them uh, uh, are perceived and he and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He has a shepherd's heart. He sees the large crowd was coming toward him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. He said this to test him for he himself, he already knew what he was going to do. He was going to miraculously provide for them and meet their sustenance need and provide them with bread and fish. And there would be plentiful, satisfying joy at the very hands of Jesus himself. Philip answered Jesus. He said, "Uh, there's 200 denarii. And this wouldn't even buy enough bread for each of them to get but a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and he has two fish, five barley loaves and he has two fish. But what are they for so many? I mean, verse two says there's a large crowd and and verse five repeats that there there's a large crowd. John is seeking to communicate something to us in this. Well, Jesus replied, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. Jesus is such a good shepherd, shepherding them to this grassy place where there was much grass. And so the men sat down about. 5,000 in number is what was recorded that day. And then Jesus, he took the loaves and he, he looks up to heaven. He, he gives thanks. He gives praise saying, Father, I thank you. This ultimately is from your hand to us. And then Jesus distributes them to those who were seated. And so also the fish as much as they wanted. Again, this speaks of plentifulness. This speaks of God's provision and overwhelmingly, miraculously providing for the large crowds, deeply concerned that their needs are met. And when they had eaten their field, this is past tense, everybody is full. In the fullness of Jesus's presence, there is fullness and there is joy. And then Jesus tells his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. There was even some left over. And this speaks to two realities, the plentifulness that comes with following Jesus. You 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 will have your needs met. Uh, But this also speaks to the stewardship of Jesus stewarding his life and so much that everybody was full, but there was still some left over. 
They gathered them up. They filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is come into the world. And this reminds us of John the, the Baptist's announcement about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Be it physical sustenance or our spiritual needs for our sins to be taken away, for our sins to be addressed, uh, for God being just to justly deal with sinners by justly dealing with his son. Although his son was completely innocent, God maintains his holiness, his righteousness and his justice by judging Jesus for our sins and pardoning us, but giving him the full penalty of death which was due to us. Jesus's announcement this day, at least in John chapter six, wasn't about his impending death and that he would rise again. Jesus is showing us that uh, his announcement comes mightily with with word repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And yes, they are looking at the king, but it also comes mightily indeed, meeting practical needs. Later in John's gospel, John 10, 10, Jesus is going to make it clear that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that leads them to green pastures. And as we're going to see in verses 16 through 21, leads them to peace, even with raging waters. Later in John's gospel, he is going to show his disciples that they are to be marked by humble servanthood as he washes their feet. They are to do the same to one another. Later in John 13, Jesus is going to shepherd them and make it clear they're to be known by their love for one another. He is a, a, a marvelous king. He is a good shepherd. He protects. He leads. And as we see in John chapter six, he provides. Is that your story? Is that your testimony? Has that been your experience as you've walked with Jesus, as you have followed him as a, a pupil of his, as a disciple of his, that he has protected you from much? that he has led you well, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You fear no evil. His rod and his staff comfort you. He provides for you. He meets your needs. Well, by verse 15, we see that they realize, in a sense, this is the king. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus, he withdrew again to a location by himself. He stepped away from the large crowds of verse 2 and verse 5. He stepped away from the multitude. I mean, he had spent time in discipleship with his pupils, his, his, his disciples, as he discipled them in word and in deed, in truth and in action. And then he steals away to the mountain by himself, likely praying to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will be done but your will be done. Jesus, the one sent from God. This is the one who came from God. This is the long-awaited king of Israel. And the king, concerned with many, he will provide for many. These large crowds that have been mentioned, over 5,000, is the reason why we have these odd conversations with our neighbors. Realizing that Jesus is eager to provide for many, not just a few, not just a little for a few, but plentifulness for many. Well, this is why during this season 
uh, where we are quarantined to our homes. We knock on our neighbor's door and we say, hey, I'm about to go to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Is your family okay? I'm your neighbor. I, I live two houses down. I live in the apartment downstairs. I live in the townhouse at the end of the street. Uh, and I just wanted to, I'm your neighbor. My name's Charles. Is there anything that I can do to serve you? Do you need anything? Our family is here for you. This is why we have those odd conversations, because we know uh, Jesus, uh, he, he wants to meet the needs of, of many. He wants to resource many and leave them full. He wants them to have life in its fullness, life abundantly. And this is why not only do we take requests for milk and bread to the grocery store, but this is why we take a moment and, and share who we are in our story and how we were dead. <laughs> and, and at some point we went from death to resurrection life. And it's hard to explain. All we know is that we were blind, but now we see. You take a few moments and tell me a little bit about your story. And then we connect their story. We listen well. We listen intently. And we connect their story. <laughs> and somehow God has connected their story with our story. But God's story is the overarching story. And we ask them questions like, do you think it would be insane? <laughs> Do you think it would be miraculous if God were calling you to trust in him this in this season? If you had a resurrection story of going from death and indifference, being apathetic toward God, and that God is calling you to newness of life, and you receive the life that he so freely offers to you. What if I promised you it would leave you plentiful? It would leave you full. The people, they see the signs that, that Jesus has done and they want to crown him as king. He is king. He is shepherd. He is also announcer. He is also prophet speaking on behalf of the Godhead. And so we ask the question, is this prophet the one who is bringing judgment upon unrighteousness and unbelief? Or is this the prophet who is bringing shalom and hope to a weary world? Or maybe it's both judgment and hope in the person of Jesus Christ. They want to crown him as king, but Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And this is why the rule in the reign of King Jesus has begun with his very presence in the earth. But it's not the time to crown him yet. It's not the time to crown him quite yet. They, that, that'll be in, in Jerusalem after a trial, after a beating, after the crown of thorn being placed on his head, after the crucifixion on a tree. And the rule and reign will continue on the third day when we are introduced to Jesus, the resurrected king. And we remember from the gospel narratives what the disciples did when they approached the resurrection king. They bowed down. They took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him, which is what we're doing in this very moment as we're being reminded of this glorious announcement about the coming of the king into the world. Verse 16, there's a shift. When evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, they went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, so we picture the scene. There's water, there's darkness. And Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea, it became rough because a, a strong wind was blowing. 
when they had rode about three or four miles, they, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened, probably a combination of fear and terror and reverential awe, because I, I think that's him. I think he is the one. This is the king. This is the good shepherd walking toward us on water. And Jesus spoke to them. Listen to what he said. It is I. Do not be afraid. His presence is with them. It's dark. It's windy. The waters are raging. They're in the boat. I'm sure death is near. And Jesus speaks shalom into their situation. It is I. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. It's almost as if he's saying, I'm here. I'm with you. Maybe that's a word for us today. The text says that they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. With this scene, this dark, raging water and windy day, I'm sure they thought that death was near. I'm sure uh, there had been instances in storms and reports that had gone out about people who had actually died in boats similar to the one that they were in. What's interesting is that they're not excluded from the storm because they are disciples. They have this promise of provision, though, embodied in uh, the early section here in John 6. They have this promise of protection from this good shepherd who leads them to sit down safely in the grass and to receive him and who protects them from death. They have these promises. They have this this shepherd king who walks on water, who rescues them from the death that just seemed so near a few moments ago. Darkness, strong winds on every side, rough seas, and God's presence was with us. It seemed like it was forever, but I'm sure it was only momentary in the sight of God, and it was a part of his plan to rescue them, to save them, and to deliver them. And he tells them, don't be afraid. Verse 21 is my favorite verse in all of the 21 verses that we look at right now. Because it says that they they were willing to receive him and to take him in. Darkness, strong winds, rough seas, to dry land, to their intended destination. And in that moment, they could have been frustrated with God. I'm sure the past couple of weeks we've had moments of frustration. They could be bitter toward God, even shaking their fist at God. Human emotions. But they can't question the character of God. They can't question that his steadfast love is toward them, even in these discipleship moments where they learn Christ and they learn his character. I'm sure we've had moments for those of us who have children where kids have been getting on our nerves. Roommates have been getting on our nerves. Spouses getting on our nerves. Moments of conflict, moments of loneliness, moments of sin. Lord, I blew it. Moments of exhaustion. And how does Jesus look upon us? (laughs) He opens his arms wide and he comes toward us. And the only proper response is, Lord, (laughs) I want to receive you yet again. Will you receive me? You will. I come holy. I bring my whole self to you. 
my emotions, my frustration, my anger, my fears, my doubts, and my worries, I bring them to you. I receive you afresh and anew today, willing to take you into the boat, willing to take you into my home. This is why I love the storyline of the Bible. And this is why I'm convinced we need to love the storyline of the Bible and we need to tell the storyline and how God is working the storyline out in our own hearts, in our own lives. We need provision. We look to the Father. We give thanks to him when he provides. We need rescue. Where else would we go other than Jesus? To be rescued, not only from the power of winds and the storms and raging seas, but from the power of sin and the consequences of sin and the power of death, which we have the hope that death does not have the final say. All of us are closer to death in this moment than we were than when we woke up this morning. All of us are closer to death right now in this moment than we were when this message even started. But we have the hope, the promise of resurrection based upon the resurrection of Jesus. God creates all things good. Sin enters into the world and we lament, we groan, we experience grief. This is not how it was meant to be. God sets apart a people and from among these people comes the rescuer and the savior, the deliverer, the shepherd who leads us to green pastures beside still waters, the king, the humble king who rules and reigns, who we Ask, Lord, rule and reign in my heart, in my life, in my home, in my vocation, in my neighborhood. And this messenger, this prophet who announces to us forgiveness in his name, through his death, in his glorious resurrection. And he gives us with the benefit of being connected to a community that holds fast to this glorious announcement, this good news concerning Jesus Christ, as with eager expectation and hope. We long for the return of our promised king to do away with sin, to do away with sickness, to do away with death, and to make all things new. Let's pray with that earnestness and that eagerness in our hearts. Lord, we pray in the same way that you taught your disciples how to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace be to you, church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.